History suggests that the first 19 or so Africans who reached the English colonies arrived in Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. I say suggest because there were enslaved Africans who were brought to what we recognize as the United States of America or what we recognize as the former colonies before the year 1619. Nevertheless, I'm going to use 1619 as a reference point for this podcast, seeing as how we're in the year 2019. The enslaved Africans who were brought to Jamestown were brought by Dutch traders who had seized them from a captured Spanish slave ship. The Spanish usually baptized slaves in Africa before embarking them. As English custom then considered baptized Christians exempt from slavery, colonists treated these Africans as indentured servants, and they joined about a thousand English indentured servants already in the colony. So much for the separation of church and state. There were no laws regarding slavery early in Virginia's history, but in 1640, a Virginia court sentenced John Punch, an African, to slavery after he attempted to flee his service. The two whites with whom he fled were sentenced only to an additional year of their indenture and three years service to the colony. This marked the first legal sanctioning of slavery in the English colonies and was one of the first legal distinctions made between Europeans and Africans. History also suggests that the Africans who were forced to migrate to the United States as slaves were freed by the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. For those of us who know our history, however, we know that some states did not abolish slavery until 1865, which is why we celebrate Juneteenth. From 1865 until 1876, a period that I recognize as the Black Reconstruction Era, there were a number of Africans in America who fought for the full freedom, citizenship, and constitutional equality for African Americans. That fight was met with a hateful and violent brand of white supremacy, which led to the establishment of Jim Crow laws in 1876. The Jim Crow era continued until 1965, when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 were passed. Between 1965 and 1968, two of the figures central to the Civil Rights Movement as it relates to African Americans, Malcolm X and the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. were both assassinated. Three years after Dr. King's assassination, the war on drugs effectively began in June of 1971. The war on drugs ushered us into this era of mass incarceration and police oversight, the effects of which can even be seen until this day, January 10th, 2019. What I have described to you all, the listening audience, is a path of survival through supremacy. It outlines a path of tragedy and also triumph for the African in America, specifically the descendants of slaves. You said that your people have been fighting for 400 on, years. Man. Your people too. So I want you to explain what you mean too. by that. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all all know what I'm talking about, man. Don't sit up here and try to bait. Explain it. I, I not everybody knows what you're talking understood. about. Radio Raheem, I don't have to explain what's understood, man. You know what I mean by that. You know what I said by that. I ain't got to go further. And if nobody, if anybody don't understand that, then God be with them. Go look up the history. You know what? I dare you to sit up there and say, explain. You know what I'm talking about, man. His fighting people. You know we've been fighting 400 and still fighting to this day. To this day. To this day. Recently on social media, there's been a different conversation about survival. It's been about a documentary named Surviving R. Kelly. 
It chronicles the history of a sexual deviant and a sociopath. I personally refuse to watch it because I'm not giving energy, money and resources to this man, nor the culture that birthed him. The African in America has dealt with various forms of abuse, sexual and otherwise, sometimes at the hands of other black people. I can promise you this. This podcast will address those threats the same way black folk have addressed those threats for 400 years and beyond, the same way that Deontay Wilder makes his living. We're going to fight it and we're going to beat the hell out of it. Um, to, be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. This is an episode for the past, for the present, and for the future. In other words, this episode is timeless. Welcome to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. So glad you all are listening today. If you're listening, I'm also hoping that you're sharing because some of the things that I'm going to say today, well, a lot of the things that I'm going to say uh, today are going to be game changers. I know they're going to be game changers for this podcast simply because if you thought I wasn't pulling punches before, oh my God. Like this thing's about to go to a whole nother level simply because as I saw the social commentary, you know, on social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, so on and so forth. As I looked at these, the controversial uh, commentary and some of the divisive commentary that I saw about this documentary, which really was an open and shut case as far back as 15, 20 years ago. What it made me realize is, is that once again, we centered a community conversation around an individual. We made the narrative surviving R. Kelly instead of surviving abuse and various forms of abuse. And that's not conflation. That's not trivializing sexual abuse at all. As a matter of fact, what it's doing is, is that it's holding not only R. Kelly accountable, it's not only holding celebrity culture accountable, but it's also looking at every fabric of black life and saying, where are the predators? Do we have predators in our church? Do we have predators in our schools? Do we have predators in our families? And eliminating those threats, point blank, period. The priority for us as a community moving forward has to be to protect our women and our children. Black man, don't cringe at that statement simply because don't worry, we're going to have a conversation about how, you know, gender bias you know, is is starting to transcend racial bias. And that's actually a danger to not only black men, but black women. Right now, I want to focus this conversation on some of the miseducation uh, in our community as it relates to sexual abuse. Before I do that, I want to take care of some priors, man. This episode of Making a Difference is being brought to you by Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. Average basketball player, great insurance agent. <laughs> Had to throw that in there, man, because I love my brother, man. Appreciate him supporting the show. He opened up his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. He's a husband and a father, and he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a quick personalized insurance quote today. You can call Jay at 706-434-8106. 
His office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans. If you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. Thank you, Jay. If you, the individual, or the entrepreneur, I should say, or a business would like to advertise on Making a Difference, you can shoot me an email at Making a Difference Show, M A K I N, A Difference Show at gmail.com. We can get you on the podcast and the video logs expeditiously. By the time you hear the end of this podcast, you'll, if you have a business, you will really want to advertise on this podcast because um, the, the topics that we're about to go into, uh, I mean, we're we about to dig deep. We're about to dig really deep. Again, though, I want to talk briefly about this Surviving R. Kelly documentary. And I want to talk about a few key points. I want to uh, actually I want to reference a comment that was made to me on Twitter. And I'll just say, like, I appreciate this individual's perspective just for, for various reasons, been uh, been friends, you know, and, you know, we've just been supportive of each other. We've been uh, constructively critical of each other in the past. He said to me that and, and as it as it regarded the R. Kelly documentary, he said that as someone who you know, does a podcast, someone who's in the media and who talks to the community. He said, I had, I'm paraphrasing here. He said, basically said I had an obligation to watch that documentary. And what I told him and the same thing I'm going to tell you all the listening audience is that I'm not going to watch it. And the reason why I'm not going to watch it is, well, there, there are a number of reasons I'm not going to watch it, but this is the, I'm going to frame it from this perspective. Severity and sensationalism do not equal insight. If we're going to be honest about R. Kelly and if we're going to be honest about his music, the man, all of these different things, you know, kill, kill all the BS. of Let's separate the music and the man. You know, when we separate, I'm, a, I'm look, I'm <laughs> I'm trying not to trip over things, but man, I'm just I'm really just letting this like just rip from my heart, man, because I've done the research. I've looked into these things. There's so many different perspectives in terms of the black community, like what we subscribe to. And I don't know if you noticed this, but today I'm saying black community. A lot of times I say black people, but this is a community discussion. This is something that's applicable to black people. So today I'm going to say black community because I'm talking, look, I'm talking to all y'all, but there's so many different things that we subscribe to. We subscribe to, you know, God's word, the Bible. We say that we are people of God out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks Matthew 12, 34. How can you separate? A man from his art. How can you separate a man from the words that come out of his mouth when the words that come out of man's mouth indict him? This is R. Kelly back in 94. I know it's 94 because he freaking dated the song. He literally said 94 in the song. Bump and grind. Y'all know the record. So show me some ID before I get knee deep. Bruh, you're being borderline dishonest, disingenuous. If you if you're saying that you didn't know that this man had a problem, the rap sheets a mile long. You can Google it. I mean, you can go and watch the documentary. I won't recommend it because, you know, as sure as people are watching the documentary, you know, they're going, you know, to streaming sites to, you know, look at this man's lyrics. And like, that's not, you know, giving this man money and resources. But let's say you didn't get into 94. Let's say you didn't get it 25 years ago. There's a little uh, little animated cartoon, The Boondocks. They did an episode in 2005. Uh, you may remember the name of it. It was The Trial of Robert Kelly. All that needs to be said is this.
with you people? Every famous nigga that gets arrested is not Nelson Mandela? Yes, the government conspires to put a lot of innocent black men in jail on fallacious charges. But R. Kelly is not one of those men. We all know the nigga can sing. But what happened to standards? What happened to bare minimums? You a fan of R. Kelly? You want to help R. Kelly? Then get some counseling for R. Kelly. Introduce him to some older women. Hide his camcorder. But don't pretend like the man is a hero. And stop the damn dancing. Act like you got some goddamn sense, people. Damn. Don't play around here. Boo! Hey, you with the afro. Give it a rest. Beat it. Put the music back on. did battle with ignorance today and ignorance won again that episode aired in 2005 so why are we still sitting up here in 2019 acting like this isn't an open and closed discussion why is r kelly still selling out shows why are there still people in the crowd at r kelly shows saying take me hostage there are a number of reasons and I've seen, you know, different people express these reasons and all of them are right uh, because society doesn't care about black women and children or black people in general. You'd be right because society, as I've said numerous times on this show, deify celebrity, you would be right. Is it because sexual abuse is woven into the fabric of American culture from our politics to our religion to our celebrity culture? Again, you will be right. And this culture of abuse has gone largely unchecked despite movements that were supposed to curb this type of activity. The Me Too movement, for example. And see, here's the thing about a movement. A movement is not only supposed to curb the attitudes, but the action. When society co-ops a movement as it did the Me Too movement and does not adopt the principles that curb or change actions and attitudes, then your movement is empty. So here's what has to happen right here and right now. There's a zero tolerance policy for sexual abuse. Period. Stop making excuses for it. I don't care if it's a person in your family. I don't care if it's a celebrity that you like. I don't care if it's your pastor. Stop it. Because we can't allow likability to take the place of morality and policy. Period. What happens when we uh, allow likability to take the place of morality and policy? We end up blaming the victim for the socially or sexually deviant activity. This is how you get conversations like, well, you know, these little girls fast anyway, or she shouldn't have worn that. These narratives set the stage for the type of culture that we have today. And that brings me to another point, because uh, so much of the conversation that I've seen on social media, you know, has has centered around. We have to teach our girls or we have to teach our women. Full stop, bro. Full stop. We have to teach our children, boys, girls. We need to teach adults, men, women, how to conduct how to conduct themselves in these type of situations. I just watched one of the most disgusting videos in my lifetime where this young lady was going to pay for gas and no less than six dudes, you know, ran up on her, you know, calling her the B word and, and all this type of stuff. And it's like I said, uh, when somebody had had posted uh, that video, I said, this is the type of culture that sets the stage for sexual abuse. 
So just to make some things clear, because I'm going to keep going back and just reiterating points, because I know some people are going to listen or you may share this with somebody and, you know, they may feign ignorance or, or whatever. Again, zero tolerance for sexual abuse. Don't care who's doing it. Don't care if it's your, like I said, your pastor, your best friend, whomever it is. My priority is protecting women and children. And I understand that that burden and responsibility based on how society is set up. So a lot of that falls on men. Stop making the excuses. Stop victim shaming and accept that responsibility for what it is. And also understand that when you're having conversations about child sexual abuse, it is not limited to girls. There are boys who also experience sexual abuse, and we cannot trivialize that and act like it doesn't happen. Society has to take a holistic approach on stopping sexual abuse. And part of that holistic approach has to be if there are people in leadership positions who conduct themselves in this way or have a culture where these things are happening for an extended period of time, those people got to go now. In addition, we got to stop the culture of victim shaming. It's irresponsible to blame a little girl for, quote unquote, being fast for the reason she's sexually abused. Some of the uh, explanations and the caping that I've seen on social media is just it's, it's sick, it's twisted, it's warped. Continuing on with this conversation, I'm, I'm framing this from the perspective of social media because so much of our, our conversations and so much of our news and information actually comes from social media. And that is to our detriment. What I'm seeing a lot of on social media is people making light of this situation, people making light of, you know, the surviving R. Kelly documentary, they're making light of the culture of sexual abuse and they're making jokes about it. Stop it. There are people on your timeline. There are people who are among your Facebook friends, associates, whomever you want to identify with them as those people have dealt with sexual abuse. Those people are triggered, triggered by the sight of R. Kelly. They're triggered by these unimaginable stories that are being told. And part of the reason why they're triggered is because of their personal experiences, but also a part of why those individuals are triggered is because they have shared their stories. They have told people in their community. They have told family members that these things have happened and people did not believe them. Or they saw where people made light of sexual abuse and they withheld their stories and have had to deal with that trauma in private. I can't even begin to imagine that if you're listening to this podcast and you've had to deal with sexual abuse, know that you're in a place and you're listening to an individual who will stand up for you and is not tolerable of that BS. My thoughts and my prayers are with you and I love you and I'm using my platform to fight for you simply because that thoughts and prayer stuff, man, look, faith without works is dead straight up. We need people in the community who are going to fight and who are going to break down. You know, people talk about breaking down strongholds, but what a stronghold is, is when you have people in the establishment who use their power to prey on the weak or who use their power to prey on the disadvantaged. When I put all this together, though, what I realize is, is that a number of folks take the wrong approach or have the wrong perspective on sexual abuse because they harbor some of those toxic perspectives on sexual abuse or even worse have committed acts of sexual abuse themselves. My message to the predators is this. If you are a predator, you need to watch out for the protectors. The most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected woman, uh, person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. And as Muslims, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us to respect our women and to protect our women. And the only time a Muslim really gets real violent is when someone goes to molest his woman. 
We will kill you for our woman. I'm, I'm making it plain, yes. We will kill you for our woman. We believe that if the white man will do whatever is necessary to see that his woman gets respect and protection, then you and I will never be recognized as men until we stand up like men and place the same penalty over the head of anyone who puts his filthy hands out to put in the direction of our women. There's a dangerous and prevailing culture in society where we see women as sex toys instead of sisters, and I mean sisters, within the framework of building our communities together. The fact is this, black men and black women need each other. I don't care what social media tells you. I don't care what mass media tells you. We need each other. We need to protect each other and we need to preserve each other, not only in the present, but to take care of the future. We have survived numerous attacks against our people and our children for generations. And the fact remains, I'm tired of just having to survive. I'm ready to thrive. Thriving happens when we prioritize what's important and we protect it with everything that we have. And our community needs that new energy right now. This is making a difference. I had to cut some things off cause I needed new energy I had to cut some friends off cause I needed new energy I had to cut my dreads off cause I needed new energy I had to realize what was and what wasn't working for me I had to cut some things off cause I needed new energy I had to cut some friends off cause I needed new energy I had to cut the dreads off cause I needed new energy I had to realize what was and what wasn't working for me Yeah, yeah New energy Brand new mentality If it ain't helping me prosper in life Then please don't bring it around me I don't do gossiping, I don't do rumors I like to ask questions, I don't do assuming Don't worry about what the next man is doing Focused on me, I'm too busy improving My mind and my body and soul That is the ultimate goal Ain't no one telling me no If you ain't bringing in positive energy Sorry, but you gotta go Hope you ain't finding me rude, but you got a bad attitude I don't feel like dealing with you I'm just trying to live my best life I don't need nobody to look up my mood Learn how to distance myself from a situation that don't even concern me If you feel some type of way about the wave that I'm on, then come on, join the journey Worry about something that you can't control, man, why are you wasting your time? Cause overthinking make it complicated, so don't worry about it, it's all in your mind I had to cut some things off cause I needed new energy I had to cut some friends off cause I needed new energy I had to cut the dreads off cause I needed new energy I had to realize what was and what wasn't working for me I had to cut some things off cause I needed new energy I had to cut some friends off cause I needed new energy I had to cut the dreads off cause I needed new energy I had to realize what was and what wasn't working for me Yeah, yeah
Laura Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your all-state insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I know some of y'all probably listening to that new energy song. Y'all done rewinded the podcast three and four times. If you don't know who the artist is behind that new energy record, he's actually a, was a previous guest on the show. If you remember the kid justice, Devonte Dows, uh, I, he's actually going through a, a name change. He says he just, he, he wants to only be known as justice. I'm gonna call him young justice for the sake of, uh, this conversation because his flow is animated, man. And, you know, as you go through and you listening to the hook, man, he's talking about, you know, I had to cut some things off. I need a new energy. That's just something that, you know, we're going into a new year. I think that's something that really, I think, resonates with a lot of people as they're trying to, you know, make themselves a better person for the new year. I know that's something that resonates with this podcast because, you know, I named it Surviving, obviously, to, you know, make reference to the documentary that a lot of folks have been talking about, as well as the reference point with the 400 years. But as I think about our community, man, and some of the struggles that we face, and I'm looking at things now, a lot of that, the new energy that, you know, that Devontae is talking about in this record, for some of us, man, that may be new habits. It may be, you know, we need new energy in terms of how we eat. We may need new energy in in terms of how we treat people, maybe treating people better. Or maybe spending less time with people who are toxic or who who have that toxic energy. What new energy represents to me is an individual movement. And out of that individual movement, when you try to better yourself, that new energy not only energizes you or strengthens you as an individual, it can strengthen your entire community. So I just want to give a special shout shout out to the Dallas House, uh, to Justice, to Sky, and Reese the Future, of course. We're continuing the conversation about surviving. And within the framework and the context of this conversation, I'm seeing people say, well, if you're going to indict R. Kelly, if you're going to, you know, point out R. Kelly, you know, point out, you know, your uncle or your pastor challenge accepted. As a matter of fact, anyone. And and I'll just say this, too, that there's room to hold all of these folks accountable. And with that, I want to share a story about Ed Buck. If you haven't heard the story about Ed Buck, he's a political activist who faces questions over a second dead man in his home in two years. This is from the New York Times. For the second time in two years, L.A. detectives have found a man dead inside the apartment of Ed Buck, a political activist who rose to national prominence in the late 80s for his efforts to recall the governor of Arizona, none of which of which is important. What is important is the fact that the L.A. Uh, County Sheriff's Department said I uh, received a 911 call after 1 a.m. on Monday from a person who claimed that a man inside a West Hollywood apartment had stopped breathing and could not be resuscitated. Uh, when emergency responders arrived at the residence, they declared uh, the man dead. A group of protesters actually rallied outside uh, Buck's apartment uh, on Monday and demanded justice for the man, for that man and for another man, uh, Jamel Moore. I hope I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. If not, my sincerest apologies, uh, who was found naked and dead of a drug overdose on a mattress in Mr. Buck's living room in July 2017. One of those protesters was a political activist in Southern California, uh, Jasmine Kanick. 
She said that the latest man to die at Buck's apartment fit the profile of people who have contacted her with concerns about Mr. Buck. She accused Buck of picking up black men outside bars, contacting him on dating apps and paying for those outside the state to fly to L.A. to see him. He never stops, Miss Canick said at the rally. Most recently, a young man, he flew in from Minnesota and sent me his plane ticket, showing me that Ed Buck had flew him in and that he had partied and played with Ed Buck. Later, she added, there will probably be some other young man who heads upstairs who has no idea of what happened today. Mr. Moore uh, had his personal journal published, according uh, to reports, and apparently other young men stepped forward recounting similar stories about Buck. They said he had a Tuskegee experiment-like fetish, which includes shooting drugs into young black men who he picks up off the street or via dating hookup websites. There are warnings forced the sheriff's department to finally open a homicide investigation. Again, we have what appears who appears to be a sexual deviant and a sociopath. Now, this story won't resonate into all sectors of the black community because there are still some conservative parts of our community that see homosexuality as taboo. That's neither here nor there. And I have my personal preferences. What I will say is this, is that whether a man is heterosexual or homosexual, he is afforded civil rights and human rights, the least of which are not to be targeted and sexually abused. And injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It's that simple. And here, sure enough, we have a man who was protected by, you know, various things to include white privilege, to include affluence and the ugly truth of the fact that people may not necessarily care about Buck's victims because of their race and sexual orientation. I'd also like to take this time to let you know, if you didn't know, that the genius behind the March on Washington, that's right, Dr. King's March on Washington was uh, Bayard Rustin, who was a gay man. The point I'm trying to make is simply this. If we're going to have a conversation about civil rights, if we're going to have a conversation about, you know, gender, sexual orientation, and we're doing this within the framework of race, it's irresponsible to cast folks off because they don't necessarily share our views. If they fall under the umbrella of black folk of descendants of slaves, then we as a people need to uphold their those protections and to make sure that we protect those people. Speaking of protections, I got a couple of things I want to share with you guys uh, before we close down this podcast for today. I want to share with you my commentary on January 4th. This is, I think, in the aftermath of when I first, you know, was hearing some of the commentary about uh, R. Kelly and the, and the documentary. I said black people in black politics are worth more than black celebrities. It's one of the hallmarks of making a difference. Unfortunately, our community upholds the inverse. We care more about black celebrities and showy black leaders than we do black people in black politics. Robert Kelly Benscombe, the willingness to entertain his culture of sexual abuse and sociopathy, says more about people who will literally watch anything for entertainment than it does about the serial pisser. Again, I say black people in black politics are worth more. The recurring question and lesson I take from this current round of social media outrage is this. How far are we willing to go to protect people, particularly children from a culture of abuse? That doesn't only mean sexual abuse. There's a significant portion of the population who applauded and cheered when the, I don't know if you guys remember the uh, kid who said on social media, I'm tired of this church. Kid was beaten, spanked, whooped by his dad. That's abusive. You cannot pour toxicity into people and think that anything less than poison will grow out of them. People will be outraged today and then go back to a culture that answers the question of how far are we willing to go to protect people in this way? Barely an inch. I think part of our transition from surviving to thriving has to be to take out some of the negative practices of our community that we have wrongly deemed tradition. I don't believe in spanking children. I don't believe I'm not going to spank my son. And the reason why I'm not 
is for a very simple reason. I don't think spanking instills discipline. I think spanking instills compliance. And I want my son to be able to think critically. I want my son to have fight in him to not and not saying fight. You know, well, if, if you keep that fight in him, he's eventually going to fight you. That's not what that's about. It's about, again, critical thinking. And it's about raising my son in a world where he's not afraid to stand up for himself. I remember something my brother uh, Earl Gray Summer said a long time ago, man. And when he first said it, I was like, man, stop playing. He said that the black community lacks self-esteem. He said we have a self-esteem problem in the black community. And for the longest time, like it, it took me a while to come to grips with that. But I, I understand now exactly what he was trying to say. But I'll tell you why we have a self-esteem problem. We have a self-esteem problem because we have passed down so much of the brutality that we faced as a people onto our children. We don't pass down wealth. You know, we're not passing down as much information as we are passing down abuse and even the abuse. that, And, and even when we don't pass down that abuse, that trauma is in our DNA. This is why as a father, man, it's my vow to make sure that I, inst I instill confidence in my son. I'm, there are ways to instill discipline in your children without whipping them and without spanking them. We've got to start, you know, as a community, we got to start countering abuse with love and we got to rebuke abuse. And we got, and, and again, where there are predators, we have to be protectors and we have to fight them with every breath that remains in us. I want to present one more story before we close out the podcast. And it was of this video that I've, I saw out of Florida. It was a viral video. There's this uh, white man who attacked uh, this young black woman uh, at a McDonald's out of St. Petersburg, uh, actually on New Year's Eve, uh, attacked her. He asked for a straw and I don't there was uh, some dispute, but he reached over the counter and grabbed her. And then she fought. Look, fought him off, not only fought him off, man, but I mean, just really hit him with a with a flurry <laughs> with a McFlurry of hands. But what happened next in that video really distressed me because I saw her coworkers and her manager actually trying to pull her off of this guy instead of, in my opinion, what they should have done was stomp that dude out who reached over the counter to attack her. And it was a classic case of Stockholm syndrome and Stockholm syndrome is a survival tactic. It's actually a condition that causes hostages to develop a psychological alliance with their captors uh, as a strategy during captivity. Now within the framework of, you know, the labor force and in terms of this restaurant, you know, I can, I can, I, it's, it's disappointing, but I can only imagine the viewpoint of uh, Miss James's coworkers trying to pull her off. They were thinking about saving her job instead of saving her as an individual. And I want you to think, th think about that for a second about the fact that her coworkers would priorit prioritize her career over her life and her livelihood. And it just, it goes to show that, man, we really have our priorities messed up. I paid attention to the story. I, I did some research and I found out, you know, this young lady's background. Uh, basically, she was working at McDonald's to, I think, pay her way through school. And, you know, she either wants to be a nurse or a social worker. And that really, like, touched my heart because, number one, here's this young lady who very easily could have lost could have lost her life that day because that man initiated, you know, the conflict initiated, you know, the the attack on her. And, you know, had he attacked her with a different level of force, maybe with a gun or a knife, that young lady would not be here today. But the fact that she, first of all, is conscientious enough to, you know, be able to fight for herself and defend herself, but also a level of conscientiousness that 
you know, would lead her in her career to want to help people. When you talk about somebody being a nurse or a social worker, those are professions that take pride in helping others. So when I see this young lady, you know, have to go through this and really have to go through this, you know, on an island because, you know, the managers apologizing to the guy who attacked, you know, Miss James, the, the whole the whole situation is really sick and it's disgusting. And it just shows that we fail to protect the people who need protecting. I am glad to report that fast food workers are actually are striking after this incident. There's a report from Business Insider that says a 2015 survey of almost 1500 fast food workers found that 87 percent said they had been injured at least once at work in the previous year, including 12 percent who were injured in assaults on the job. Gail Rogers, who's one of the McDonald's workers uh, planning to strike, uh, she said in a statement, uh, there's the. The movement is called Fight for $15, and that's, of course, to raise the minimum wage. She said no one should have to fear for their own safety when they report to work every day, but it's very clear I'm not safe at McDonald's. She said I'm going on strike because at McDonald's we're subjected to all types of behavior that has no place at work, from physical attacks and armed robberies to sexual harassment to racial discrimination. She said we won't back down until McDonald's takes responsibility for protecting all workers on the job. I take pride in what I do here. I'm making a difference because and and you could just even see in the framework of this conversation today that I've talked a lot about protecting people. I've talked a lot about protecting black people, about protecting black women, about protecting black children, black boys, uh, protecting black men. I've talked about protecting people, you know, within the framework of the labor force. I understand those protections are important because I am speaking up for the voiceless in some cases. But what I also understand is that, you know, we've put so much faith in government. You know, we put so much faith in corporations and those individuals have unrepentantly let us down and have left us to the wolves. And so we're left in an age of unprecedented corporate greed, you know, in an age of just, you know, not only a government shutdown, but just government incompetence where we're literally fighting for our survival, where people are, you know, fighting to make ends meet my when I think about the government shutdown and how it's affected so much of uh, so much of our way of life of how how it's affected so many people who are out of work and are essentially in working poverty, my heart goes out to those people. And it's not enough that we, you know, only talk about those issues. There has to be an outlet and there has to be, you know, opportunities for us that we take in, in political exercises and otherwise and things that we do where we're just more than outraging on social media, where we're just doing more than talking on the podcast. We actually we have to actually take these battles to the forefront. We have to challenge our city officials. We have to challenge, you know, state and government officials that they can and they will do better. I can tell you for myself, you won't see me. You won't see me in a McDonald's until they raise the minimum wage, until they create protections and uphold protections for people who work, who are working in uh, in, in these restaurants and these facilities. What you have right now is class warfare and, you know, corporate overlords and government officials. They're laughing. You know, when you see situations like this, what you basically have is, is you have, you know, the working poor or, you know, the dwindling middle class and these individuals that walk into a McDonald's. They're frustrated about their jobs and what's going on, and they take it out on the people who are working in, in these facilities. I see it all the time, you know, in, in retail and the, and and you can see the lack of morale when you go to these places. You know, when you go to a Walmart, when you go to, you know, a McDonald's or another restaurant, people are discouraged, man. And, you know, that's why I really, you know, when, when I uh, go to a restaurant and I, you know, frequent, you know, fast food uh, outlets very frequently, I call people by their name, you know, by their first name. I treat people with dignity, man. And that's that's something that we really should try to do across the board. I think. That is the entire spirit of, you know, when we talk about surviving and survival is that 
that we treat ourselves with dignity and that we treat each other with dignity. And out of that dignity and out of that pride, man, we fight like hell, man. Period. That's my time for today. I just want to encourage you guys. Look, so many of you guys are, are following me on Facebook, man. I'm grateful. If you're not following me on Facebook, what are you doing, man? Facebook.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a different show. You're already listening to me on SoundCloud. Man, if you don't download that SoundCloud app, if you haven't already and follow making M-A-K-I-N a difference, follow this show, man. I mean, we just we drop an absolute heat every time out this next series, y'all. I'm excited to share this with you guys. I know you guys have have heard me talk about, you know, uh, gender bias and racial bias and black men and black women. I got a six part series that's coming. That's what's coming next. It's not going to be a podcast. It's going to be a video law. So you guys will get to see my handsome face. Hey, my wife's words, not mine. Y'all heard it earlier. Y'all get to see my face on the video law. I'm going to talk about black men versus black women. There are certain narratives uh, that I'm seeing on social media and there are topics you know, as it relates to finances and relationships that are not being adequately addressed. It's basically it's, it's going to be an, an hour long conversation, but I'm breaking it up in the six parts. It'll be easy to digest. Uh, there are opportunities for you to be a part of that and to be a part of the dialogue and to advertise as well. Again, if you want to advertise on making a difference, M-A-K-I-N, a different show that's making a different show at gmail.com. You can also support the show financially. Cash app is a dollar sign making M-A-K-I-N, a different show. You can also be a month to month sponsor via Patreon. You can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash making a different show. That's Patreon.com backslash making a different show. Those are the ways you can support the show. Understand when you donate to making a difference, you are donating to black media. You are investing in not only uh, local news, but you're investing in state news and national news, because I firmly believe, man, that what we're doing here, we're making a difference. It's something that's relevant to every person that's living in this country. And as we understand that we're fighting against white supremacy, you got to understand that the reach of white supremacy is almost global. And so when you're fighting that, you have to fight that on a global level. And so I, I stand with and I support anyone who's fighting that supremacy and who's fighting for uh, black people and who has a deep uh, love for black people as I do. And as this show does, I'm Ken Macon. I love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.